Hello and welcome to the Happy Me Project podcast, the space where self-development doesn't have to be fancy and we take the bullshit out of positive mindset. My name is Holly Matthews and I'm a self-development coach. I'm a TEDx speaker. I'm a former TV actress and the founder of the Happy Me Project. I also happen to be a widowed mom of two amazing young girls. And today on the show, we are discussing a big one. We're talking about grief. So grab a cup of tea, park yourself down, and let's get into it. So before 2017, I hadn't experienced grief in the same way as I now have. So in 2017, my husband, Ross, died of brain cancer. And I became a widow at 32 with my, with my two girls being bereaved of their dad. Before that, the losses that I had experienced in terms of people, the deaths that I experienced had been very sad, but largely timely. Or at the very least, I felt they were even perhaps was just too young to understand. So the, the, the first loss I remember was probably a pet. Yeah, I think some of us, that's often our first loss. Not everybody, but many of us as children, our first loss is that of a pet. Mine was Jeeves, my basset hound. When Jeeves died, I was heartbroken. My second loss was then my granddad. Now, my granddad was really young, actually, to, to have died. And he died of a very sad disease, um, which I can never pronounce because it's really hard. Um, but it's essentially the human form of what was... Um, what was known as mad cow disease in the press, in the UK press, CJD. And this was um, this was obviously very, very shocking and awful and, and quite a, a horrible way for somebody to die. And my granddad was, I think, 56. He could have been 54. He was actually incredibly young. But at the time, I was such a young child that he seemed like an old man. You know, it, it didn't impact me in the way an untimely death probably should have because I just wasn't old enough to really understand as far as I was concerned my parents were old and he was old even though on reflection now that's not the case and my grandma Rita who is just the most incredible woman and and we're very lucky to still have her and she's now in her 80s I recognize now that my my grandma you know her husband died at a really young age and she didn't ever find another partner and so it's been very interesting for me to have spoken to my grandma and for her to have, you know, shared her experiences and for me to have understood it on a different level and have a deeper level of respect for her now looking back and understanding that she experienced the same thing as me and hers was very quick and not a, not a nice thing to have experienced. But from my interpretation of that as a young child, the grief I experienced was a lot because I loved my granddad. He was a really big character and uh, he, was called, he was called Matthew, but got Matt the cat and was very much known in Newcastle in the northeast of England where I'm from and was a real big character so he was a he was a definite loss and I really felt it at the time I was incredibly sad about losing my granddad I don't think though I understood it in the same level as when you lose somebody that lives in your house when you have a death and a loss of somebody who you live with it's a very different experience because it's very immediate 
when somebody dies who doesn't live in your house, even if they're a close person like a, a grandparent or um, and an, an auntie or, or somebody that's in your family, you don't necessarily experience it instantly because you can sort of imagine and, and you can you can sort of put it in your mind that they might be somewhere else and it gives you a moment of respite. When somebody that your partner or a sibling or a parent that you live with, friend, whoever, somebody that you live with dies, there's an instant loss. There's an instant um, and, and I can also put in a parent as well, you know, somebody who's really significantly your person. When that person dies, it's there's no pretense, there's no pretending, there's no going back, it's just in your face grief. And me and my husband were together all the time. So when you're with somebody all of the time, again, that it's that feeling of loss always. I was used to him being around all the time. We potted around together drinking cups of tea. So for me to not have that person to look over at and pull a face at and be like, you know, why is that person? Usually it was like when somebody would say something stupid and there was always that person to look at and they, them to understand why you would think that's a ridiculous thing to say. You know, there's just the silly things, the silly connections that you have with those that you love. It was so instant. It hit me so instantly. And it also hit me before his death. With brain cancer or any kind of brain injury, you lose the person before you have the person die and that's a really strange experience because for the probably the month maybe six weeks before Ross's death I probably it might have been slightly longer the the time frame of all of that is difficult but he'd experienced a seizure and then he just changed because at that time we didn't know but there was suddenly lots of tumors throughout his whole head and they were really impacting his personality and how he responded and his understanding of the world and so although physically he was there and we got moments of Ross we didn't have him as we knew him and that so it's a, a preemptive grief that you experience then and anybody who's had somebody who's had a long-term illness and certainly one that impairs their brain function will understand that anybody who has experienced anybody with uh, dementia you know you lose that person before you lose that person and that can be very difficult and a kind of weird thing to to explain to people that you can have this preemptive grief because their physical body is still their heart is beating they're breathing they're there but they're not there and so that was a very weird experience for me telling my children that my husband that their dad was going to die was the worst experience of my life the lead up to that I felt physically sick really physically sick I didn't know how I was going to break their hearts in that way they were so young at the time they were four and six and we told them at the right time when my husband was still aware enough to not respond in a strange manner because when you again when you're dealing with the brain you know a week later he was telling me he wanted me to fill he wanted me to fill the bath up with gravy and that seemed perfectly normal to him and he was confused as to why I thought it was weird I mean I'm northern and I love gravy but even for me that was a stretch and so thankfully we took it we spoke to the children at a time where they could understand on a level of what we were saying and he could be there to hug them and even though maybe he didn't really quite understand what was happening, he didn't respond in a way that was weird to the kids. But the experience of gr grieving yourself and then having children that you love, your children grieving 
is a very difficult experience. And it is one that I continue to walk through. And I think this is a very important point when it comes to grief. The very, the most important point, in fact, it's not a linear process. It is a, you know, it's a cha-cha slide. There's going to be some days when you feel sound. There's going to be some days, months, weeks, when you feel like you've walked through to that next stage. And then something's going to happen and you're going to do two steps backwards. And all of that is normal and okay. And for me personally, what gets, what has got me through this, this grieving process and has got me to a point where right now, as we stand in 2021, I miss my husband and there are times when I miss him in an incredible amount and I miss his presence and his energy and his fun and his humor and all of those things. But I don't live with that every second of the day. I don't wake up like I once was in the morning and think, oh my God, Ross isn't alive anymore. I don't experience that in that same way now. It's not a shock. I've come to the acceptance stage and I've moved, I'm, I am and have moved forward in my life and me and my girls have a really lovely life and that's not pretense, that's not pretend for social media, that is just how we are and I also cry when I need to and it's just, right now it's few and far between and it's usually when it's something will happen significant in our worlds where often to do with the children where they'll do something or they'll experience something and I'll feel sad that he's missed that I'll feel sad that my daughters are missing out on that when my children say things that that can be a massive trigger or if I find something that has his handwriting on it or that can take on a wrong on the wrong day that can be really sad and difficult and also there's things with the kids so being a single parent when I didn't ask to be that can sometimes feel frustrating and that can make me feel frustrated about that, that you've been thrust into this role that, wow, you thought you'd be doing with someone else. And I also appreciate that many people experience that. So although I'm very, very kind to myself and I've always let myself walk through this experience in any which way it comes out, I also have perspective I understand my own privilege. I understand I live in a nice house, that I have money in the bank, that I have a brain in my head that is able to get me through this. And so I certainly don't sit in a space of woe is me and all of this tough stuff has happened. And all I seek to do and have done over the last three years is to find ways to make sure that my children get through this as as best they can and that we talk openly about their dad, that we talk openly about grief, about their feelings, that we understand. And this is this goes for you guys that are listening because you will have already experienced grief. You will be in the midst and the depths of your grief. And you found this by searching the term grief online, just like I did when I was about to have my husband die. I was searching for all of these things online. So I know that some of you are here because of that, or you're about to experience heavy grief we will all experience it in our lives because love and grief are completely entwined. You cannot have one without the other. And isn't that a weird, isn't that a weird space to be in that we can only really grieve that painful grief because we loved a person. And if we love a person, we will at some point experience some grief around them. And that's, that's a hard thing, isn't it? But it's life and it's what makes us human and and even with all of the pain I've experienced with my husband's death I would do it all again I would go back to the beginning and I would do the whole experience again because of what I had which was love and connection and realness and and that's pretty special and also my two daughters as well so my experience of grief is that and 
I continue to learn all that I can about grief and many, many people and many of you may be here because you've already talked to me about grief or you followed my story online. My husband's death was in the UK press a lot. If you type in my name into Google, that will probably be the top searches that will come up and be discussions about his death and his funeral and, and all of that stuff. And so many people have come to me and they want to understand how to walk through it. My advice would be this. Firstly, be kind to yourself. You don't have to grieve how you see somebody else grieving. This is your journey. And there really isn't a right or wrong. When you search grief online, you will find the stages of grief. And the stages of grief um, come all at once, come back to front. Um, you only find one of them. You, you bounce back and forth between them. And there's other things intertwined with them. And the stages of grief are a guide but largely a load of nonsense that I've never considered it's not like you go through the stages of grief and you tick them off and you get to the end and you get a certificate of having overcome the grief and now you can live with your life it just doesn't work like that and so I don't know whether they're helpful or not but you will come across them because these are things that have been studied and and all of that and probably you know probably some benefit somewhere but certainly as a grief as a person who has experienced this big grief they didn't help me in any which way and as a person who's a thinker, all they did was make me think maybe I should be going through it in a certain order, which is nonsense. Do it in your own way and be really kind to yourself as you go through the process and as you do weird shit, right? Because this is the thing with grief that people don't know. And anyone that I've spoken to who's experienced big grief will tell you, you do some weird stuff when you're grieving. When I first, when my husband first died, I noticed I was putting things on the bed so I was, there was just always stuff because I wasn't used to being in my bed on my own. And I don't, it wasn't a conscious thing. There was just always stuff on my bed. So when I went to sleep, there was always, you know, like there'd be a bag left on the bed or there would be just something on the other side of the bed. And I think, of course, subconsciously, you know, people looking in, you'd say, well, that's probably because you were used to there being a body in your bed, another person. And I'm sure there was. And there was this element of, well, if there's stuff there, then there's a reason why he's not there. Maybe, you know, maybe a subconscious thing, but a slightly weird habit that I picked up. There are lots of things that I, I definitely have done over the time of grieving that have not been quite in the right state of mind. They've been in the grieving mind. There was a time when he first died and I was sorting through all of the clothes. We were actually, we'd bought a house after, um, we bought a house when he was alive to do up together and we were doing it up and living in our other house and hadn't been done and then when he died I was moving into this house which I am in now and I was sorting through all his clothes so it was probably a quicker process for me going through his clothes and would have been really ideal you know I don't think for most people if their partner dies they chuck out all their clothes or they start having to at least even sort through their clothes you can just not look at them for a while usually but as I was moving house anyway I had to pack things up and I was going through his old socks and you know deciding are any of these socks socks I can steal are any of these football socks socks his brother might want or whatever you know some of them were new and stuff like that I'm going through them and I'm sat there and this is probably a couple of weeks maybe not even that much in I, or after his death and I'm sat there and I'm going in my logical adult human brain there must be a way that we can bring him back there must be somebody must be able to bring him back that's what I'm thinking a logical thinking science believing human being 
There must be a way that we can bring him back. He was fucking cremated. He was cremated. They can't bring him back. I mean, this is and this is the brain of grief, right? And I and also be bear in mind that when you go through big losses, you also have the worst gallows humor and you will laugh about death and loss and because you have to. You have to laugh at this stuff. And I don't mean you have to laugh or you'll cry. I just mean you have to because it's how we get through things. We get through things by laughing. And my husband particularly was very, very black and white in his thinking. He was on the autistic spectrum. And so he was very, very black and white. And he would have laughed at that. He'd have been like, what the fuck are you on about? You can bring me back. I was bloody cremated, babe. What are you talking about? Not that he ever called me babe, by the way. I just added that in. <laughs> but we do weird things. And I've spoken to lots of people who've done all kinds of weird things. And and so just be kind to yourself if you find yourself doing something where you, you're carrying their jumper around all day or you, you're just doing so you're sitting in their chair because it feels more comforting. This is just the stuff of grief. You're trying to, your brain is trying to process what you are experiencing and trying to make sense that this person isn't there. One of the things I did very early on was to say, my husband has died, Ross died. And that was hard to say. Of course, it's hard to say. But I did that deliberately because without saying that, if you say things like, I lost my husband, he passed away, or those terms, they, f- they sit in a space of not letting your brain acknowledge what has actually happened. I'm not saying it's easy to do, but I said it a lot because I had to make sense of it. I had to, ma- I had to teach my brain to understand, no, Ross has died. And even now, I mean... I use softer language like lost or passed away sometimes for other people because they feel uncomfortable. But in my very early stages of Ross dying, I really made sure that I said those words because it was a way for me to understand that that had happened because there was still days, and there actually still is days, where I'll think, whoa, he really has died. He's not here. I mean, less so now because so much time has passed, but certainly in the first two years, that was still a thing where once the noise died down of the first year and we headed into the second year where everybody else goes back to their lives and you're suddenly left going, no, they're really not here. Then they're not coming back. This is not a joke. This is not a drill. They are not coming back. Um, I found that 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 would still happen for me. So do grief in your own way. Whatever weird shit you do to get you through, do it. Cry when you need to cry. Laugh when you need to laugh. And don't let anybody else place judgment on it. And if they do, fuck them. It's not their journey and it's it's not your space to care how they need you to grieve. I put makeup on, I did my hair, I did my nails and I laughed as well as being sad. And those things don't have to sit opposite to each other. They can sit right side by side. And if anybody else is uncomfortable with that, that is not my business. I'm not going to put on a black veil. I'm not going to sit quietly sobbing into my handkerchief. It's just not my bit. It's not how I'm going to do things. Equally, it's also, it's not how my husband would have done things, nor how we lived as a couple. And you really have to stay in your own lane for this. You've got to understand that you will do it in your own way. And people will on the, you know, they will look in and you know, have their own interpretation of your story, but you've got to remind yourself that's just their version of it. And you've got to do what it is that you've got to do to get through it and let other people deal with their stuff. And that takes me on to being incredibly protective of your own space. So especially in those early stages, really understanding what your boundaries are and what you need and what you really don't need. It's probably the best time to ever be able to do that because people are the most compassionate and really do want to do 
the best for you. So if you want, if you want to lose your shit with people and you want to tell them about themselves, then is the time probably to get it out in the open and say, I don't want you in my house, fuck off. And then they can be all offended, but they'll just think, oh, but you know, grief, <laughs> widow, Ugh, awkward, um, bereavement. And then you don't, you can kind of get away with it. But jokes aside you've you've got to protect your space you've got to know do you want to be around people do you not want to be around people do you want people to do your shopping do you want to sit on your own and sob into some nandos like you've got to know what is going to pull you through for me personally when i when ross died the day after i took my girls to butlands and it was an intentional choice that would make something fun for the girls to be able to do after such a just a painful such a painful time and everybody was worried about me and was thinking, should I go with her? Do you want us to come with you? And I was like, no, because for me, I knew that I needed to understand that this was, this is how it was going to be, that it was the three of us and it wasn't going to be people around all the time. And I know that for other people, they need people around. And if you need people around, then that's absolutely fine because that's what you need. Every one of us has to do this in our own way. You aren't alone and people can help. And I actually think it's a, a very selfless thing to do sometimes to allow people to help if you're an independent human being that's going to be an incredibly hard thing for you to do I found it very hard I knew people wanted to help but I couldn't understand logically how they could because they couldn't bring Ross back so how are they going to help shopping food and people did people brought me food which actually was very helpful because I wouldn't have eaten and people were very helpful in, you know, wanting to do errands for me and like get the shopping in. And honestly, I just wanted to do it myself. But I remembered something that Ross had said to me many years prior to that when he was going through chemotherapy and radiotherapy and people really wanted to help in some way and, and wanted to do something. And he said, let's let them take me to the hospital because it was a little bit away from where we live. Let me take, let, let them take me to the hospital on some days because They'll feel good about that. It's nice to feel like you've been able to help. Let's gift people that chance to do that. And, and people do want to do that. We know as people, when someone's gone through something, we're desperate to help. And we feel so helpless at times. And so be, giving people something to do, there was times in, in early grief where I would tell people to get me something like, you know, some bread or some milk. And I didn't really need them to get it for me. I could have just gone and get it myself, but I knew that they needed an outlet for their own pain and a way for them to help themselves. So if you're in that early stages, do allow people to help. And if you need a reason to do it and you just allow, think about it from that point of view that you're helping them, you're helping them. You're giving them the gift of helping you. And actually, do you know what? Be nice to not have to go and get the bread and milk. It'll be sound. Let somebody make you some food, let them do a bit. But equally, if it's becoming too much, say, I need to protect your space because that's what's the most important, especially in those early stages. And recognize that once the initial stages of grief have died down, you don't have to just be over it. That's you don't have to be. You, you don't have to. There are people that it takes a lot longer to process what has happened. And then there'll be a moment where you just start to walk forward that little bit more. You will be a different version of you, but you won't be a worse version. You'll just be different. It'll be a different version than your person met. It'll be a different version of you, but it won't be a broken version. It will just be a person who has experienced some stuff and you'll be, in a weird way, a better person for that. Isn't that strange that we can be? I'm a better person for having gone through the big loss because 
I now understand the pain of that. I understand what matters. I've been able to clear away stuff that really didn't matter and focus on my children and the things that make me feel purpose and passionate and all of that stuff. And things that have happened because of my husband's death have been really great. And again, that's weird. But as I say constantly in this podcast, for every negative, there is a positive. And there are positives that can come out of the other side of grief. Right now in the UK, we've seen the Queen lose her husband, Prince Philip. And although I'm certainly not a person that is into the royals or is a royalist, I am a human being. And seeing some pictures of the Queen who has spent a long, long time with her husband on a human level, that was really sad. And I didn't experience being someone with that with someone for that length of time. And I'm sure that they had an incredible connection because of all of the fuss and noise around them. And I just thought it was really sad seeing that this week. Hence the reason we're doing this topic. I mean, I could talk about grief a lot and I get often asked to talk about grief a lot. And I, I don't because grief isn't the only part of my story. Although it might be why you're here. It might be why people have stumbled across me online. It might be why I do a lot of the stuff that I do because it's certainly aids what I do and my passion around helping people to live a life that they love. The reason I do that is because I know damn well that life is short and your people might not be with you the whole journey. And that's crap. It's crap. There's no two ways about it, right? If you've lost somebody, if it's somebody that you love has died, that is so shit. And if you're in that space right now, I'm sending you such a massive hug And I I want you to understand, and if you can take anything from this podcast, you will come through the other side of the really dark bit of pain that you might be in right now. You will come through it. And there is hope at the other side, and there is love. There is more love than you can possibly imagine. There is more strength within you, more resilience. It's there. You just got to tap into it. And when you're in the dark moments, just hang on. Just hold tight. Ride it out. Ride the wave. It's not going to be forever. I promise you that now it won't be forever. Nothing stays the same forever. Not good, not bad, nothing. We just have to keep walking forward. Even if some days we have to crawl. Sending you lots of love and I'll speak to you all very soon. Peace. To learn more about the Happy Me Project, my online courses, events and one-on-one coaching, click the links below and get involved. Make sure to share this podcast, follow, subscribe, and tell me all of your learnings. I will catch you on the next episode. Stay safe. Peace.